Hello legends, welcome to today's show. Catching up with Cub, as always, is brought to you by Cub, the Club of United Business, Australia's number one members club, connecting our country's top entrepreneurs and business leaders. At Cub, we say we're your business family because that's exactly what we are. And today we are well and truly catching up with a family member. We're catching up with member number one, the longest standing Cub member in history. Her name is Emma Bloomfield and she's an incredible friend of mine. She's the CEO of emmabloomfield.com. She is an incredible stylist and designer that has worked with so many members in in designing their homes, their offices, and even their events. Emma is a two times best-selling book author and now she's a woman of tech. She's innovating the design industry with an incredible new platform that is going to change the game. This episode is incredible. It's going to make you ask some really important questions to yourself. One is what are the events or triggers that cause your clients to realize that they need you? you, Understanding those triggers is so important to every business owner. The other thing is, do you understand your craft in a way that you're able to write a book about it and write a formula? about it that you can teach others because until you do that you don't really understand what you do so there's those and many more it was a really cool episode particularly because me and em have known each other for so long i hope you enjoy the show and we're live i'm sitting here with the longest standing cub member Ever because the first five members ever was Emma Bloomfield, Jane Lou, Jen George, Elise Daniels. We all had dinner together on Saturday. No way. Yeah. How good. And Miles Wharton. That would be the first five members. By the way, to the listeners, I'm actually sitting here with Emma Bloomfield. (laughs) Absolutely known as the Queen of Cub, known as member number one. I, I, I would give you that title. I need a key ring. You need a key. Yeah. Well, I have to a, my house. I have you can just come pod. over when you want. <laughs> still get in. Yeah. Um, that means that this is a very special episode because it's with someone that's very dear to my heart because they're the first member of this incredible community that we've built. Um, em, why don't you share with us, I guess, how Cub has impacted your life thus far? Has it had an impact in your life? Oh, my God. That's a massive question. You know it's had a massive impact in my life. That's why I asked it. <laughs> But it's not even like it's on so many levels. It's not even on just like a business level. For me, it's personal growth, it's business and friendships, which was so unexpected from joining a business club. Mm. Like who would ever think that one of the biggest reasons to join a business club is to get some new mates? Mm. And they're not just mates that you can hang out with on the weekend. They're mates that get what you do. You know, like we all have stress and like moments in business where the shit hits the fan and your friends and your family don't get it on the same level and to have other people that really truly get what's going on and can support you, that's like that's been probably one of the biggest things. Like even just last week I had a phone call with another club member who we both were complaining about similar things and having similar stresses in our life personal as well as business and we both kind of like had this hour-long conversation where we just had a chat about what it was that we could do to you know relieve some of that stress and pressure you know whether or not that was being more strict with our time management with our calendars we even talked about meditation like there were so many different things that we covered off in that conversation and I was like my friends would not get this 
Mm. They'd be like, oh, yeah, you're killing it. Like you're doing such a good job. Everything I see on social media, which social media is a lie. Yeah, it's fucked. We all know that. Mm. Um, And as a business owner, I know that even more so because I'm crafting and creating the content that I'm putting up there. So I know. I know I'm crying when I post. (laughs) (laughs) I'm crying into my Instagram (laughs) post being like, woo, how good's boat life? (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, um, that's really interesting because that touches on a few points that often um, when people want a great network, they'll often, the first thing they're going to think is, oh, yeah, I'll get heaps of business. That's, it's, it's very quickly what people think. And, and what you find at Cub and what you described is really cool because back when you joined, first of all, we weren't even a business club. Well, I didn't even know what I said to you when you joined. I, I hardly had a business. I yeah. was still working part-time. Yeah, we wouldn't even accept you right now. Company. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you wouldn't. No, I would not even make the cut. But, but, um, but you're our most important member. So. Thank you. But um, but what you said that was really interesting was that yeah, it w- I was relating to somebody else, and and that's what often you know it, it's not your friends don't get it. It's just they don't relate to you. They're in a different position. They they they've got different ambitions. It, yeah, it may not be the same as yours, and that's and, fine. Yeah, of course, it's great. You you need all types of people. Yeah. Um. The, in fact, there's less of you. You're the weirdo, actually. So yeah. 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 Um. And your family, you you, often, you don't want to stress them out with problems because then they get stressed if you're stressed. Yeah. And having that group, uh, people often overlook that being the most important thing of having a great network is having people to relate to, to actually tell you, hey, I've got this big problem. And they're saying, hey, shit, I have the same one. Mm. And and just knowing that you're not screwed because you have that problem, you know what I mean? So yeah, and that's because that. your friends won't get what you're doing and someone else might be like, oh, no, I've had the same thing happen to me before and therefore this is what I've done to kind of get through that. And, and we've now pivoted not pivoted, as Cub evolved, the, what we do is we, like if you to ask the t- team at Cub what our role is, what we do for a living, we basic, we say we make friends between accomplished entrepreneurs. That's what we do. We're, we're, we're friendship makers. And what's, there's nothing more beautiful than building relationships for people, than making people friends. It's, it's the like most needed human need. It's like – I love that, friendship makers. Yeah, for, for business owners. Yeah. The rest of you could get up. <laughs> but but – um, but that's what we do. We focus on the business owners and and that is what we give people. Mm. We, we build them valuable relationships uh, which, which result in a, a bunch of things. But you're in a particularly interesting business and you're really cool in, in the space you're in because you've come at it at such a, I guess a mo- I'd call it a modern way. So you're not an interior designer, are you? Not technically. No, but you don't call yourself that, do you? No, I don't, no. You, you say uh, you're a stylist. Yeah. And see, that in itself is already a cool niche because you're already differentiating from, from others. And I guess how would you dif- dif- differentiate what you do to uh, other people? Well, I, didn't, I did a business degree when I first finished school. I actually did a, an advanced diploma of event management first and then I did a business degree and then decided I didn't want to do any of that. <laughs> And went in and worked for an interior designer doing high-end residential interior design. And then from there I went into property styling and and had a couple of other jobs in the meantime but started my business in between those two roles. So I'd had experience working for a designer and then I went into property styling and kind of felt like I fit in the middle of that and also thought that there was a huge gap in the market for online decorating and there was a lot of that happening out of the US but there was nothing in Australia that was – kind of similar. Everyone was still going into people's houses and doing it the traditional way. What do you mean by online decorating? So people send photos of their house by email and send me like a Pinterest board or images of, you know, other houses that they like the look of. And then I create 
a design scheme for them and they go and purchase those products themselves and bring it into their house and do it themselves. So it's kind of like DIY decorating but you get access to it. Is that what you're doing now? I do less of that now. During COVID I ramped that back up again because I couldn't go into houses. And that's how you pivoted during COVID. Exactly. How interesting. So the stylist thing kind of came about because I wasn't officially qualified to call myself an interior designer. There's no regulations in this country. I can call myself a designer but I prefer the title of stylist because I prefer the decorative, you know, fittings and all that kind of stuff. And it's a point of difference too because everyone says interior designer. You you very rarely hear someone say stylist. And interior decorator sounds like you're 85 years old. Yeah, yeah. You're putting putting like glass bowls with lollies in them. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) potpourri and like really big heavy curtains on the walls. And it's actually what you do is, is really difficult, I'm sure, because you're, you're fucking with people's homes. Mm. You're, you're changing their home. And uh, I can imagine you, uh, you know, you must have to tread relatively carefully. It's so personal and so emotional. When you're doing commercial interiors or corporate stuff, it, there's less emotion involved. It's more you have to manage everyone's expectations in the decision-making team. Keep within budget. Yeah, that's pretty much the only thing to do. With um, residential stuff... Oh my God, if they've come through a divorce, then they've got all the baggage of the divorce. The kids have been dragged through that. They want to make a nice space for the children because they've had to deal with all the crap that's just happened, you know, in the previous Mm -hmm. home. Um, If they've had a death in the family, that then sparks like there's, there's certain events in people's lives that will spark contacting a designer. And some of them are really heavy. Like after a death, you can feel it in the house. And same with a divorce. If you're going into a house, they've had a divorce, you can feel it. Like it's this weird energy. Um, I can't describe it. You have to just be there to feel it yeah. and understand what it's like. But because you're it's, in someone's home. You're in it's their private space. Yeah, and there's a current vibe going on in that home. It doesn't yeah. mean it's always going to be the vibe. In fact, that's probably what you're there to fix. Exactly. And usually it is something negative that they don't like about the house and they've picked fault in things and so they can't find a way through that. They just hate it. And they're like, now it's your problem. You solve the issue for me. I've actually never thought of what you do like that. I've always just thought. Just make it pretty. Yeah, well, rich people get uh, bored of their furniture and change shit. <laughs> <laughs> like I do pretty often. But but, but really, no, that's not. It's, 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 it's a really emotive thing. It's a really, mm. it's almost a pivotal change. They're changing the thing that is their stability, which is your home. That, and to change something that's so fundamental to your stability in life means that something happened in your life that... Well, that's like the law of feng shui. I don't know a ton about it, but a lot of that it comes back to like the energy in the house and all of that sort of stuff. And, you know, even birth and having new babies and, you know, growing a family in the house, there will be certain things in your life that will change the fundamental way that you use the house. And if you don't know how to do it well, then you don't feel comfortable and happy at home. Mm. So a big part of my job is making sure that, and I, I often talk about this, is that my job is not actually picking out the physical furniture and decorative items and lighting and all that kind of stuff. My job is actually to make them feel good in the house. And how weird is that? Like I'm an interior designer. I'm not like a psychologist. Yeah. (laughs) But I end up doing a lot of counselling between couples that can't decide on stuff. (laughs) You would, wouldn't you? It would have an element of like you would need to be very good with people to be in, in, in an industry like yours where you're dealing with something so personal when you're dealing with someone's home. Yeah. You know, you, yeah, even if you were a builder. Like, oh, yeah. The yeah. builders see even more because they're knocking everything out. Yeah. They would have to be like a good builder or someone that's client-facing good would have to be, um, I guess, empathetic. Yeah. 
That's a big part of it. Yeah. And, you know, like I've had, I've had clients in the past where I've gone into their house and there's certain rooms in the house that they would never even show their guests because they're, you know, ashamed of it or whatever it is or it's messy and they just keep the door closed. I get to see everything. So you can't hide anything from me and I've seen it all, <laughs> um, like literally like everything. What? Like what's some weird stuff you see? Oh, the weirdest is when you're doing property styling and you've got to move existing stuff around the house and bedside table drawers. You've just got to masking oh. tape those shut. You yeah. can't just move them because some weird shit pops out yeah, of those it would, bedside drawers. It? Yeah. That would that'd be my favourite part of the job. Yeah, look, it is interesting. It would be interesting. <laughs> I like you. You, you, you have some weird yeah, taste. Yeah. <laughs> I'm into that. I like your stuff. <laughs> but have I ever introduced you to my brother-in-law who owns Taste Living? I don't think so. They, they do, I don't even know how many big renovations they do. They do it for really hard. They, they built this. They built my apartment. Oh, okay. They, they're the best. Yeah. You should, you should definitely, um, I should introduce you to him because I reckon you guys would be great together. But he tells me similar things. Mm. It's, it's just so personal. And you, mm. you don't picture a builder being, like you could probably picture a stylist being quite empathetic. Yeah. But an empathetic builder, like, you know, it, it, it's rare. And, and I think he's actually quite good at it. It is. It's really tough for them because they want to get in there and just get the work done and they're there to do, you know, all the physical labour. And then the clients are there constantly asking them questions because they're the ones on site. I'll do the design work well before the builder actually gets started. But then the clients there, especially if they haven't moved out for the renovations, they're there every day asking questions of the builder and the builder's like, oh, stop asking me this stuff. And then I get called from the builder going, can you answer this question? You know, Sally's having problems with, you know, whatever coloured tap we've ordered. She's not loving it. And everyone just gets so like ingrained in those little itty bitty details that sometimes you have to come in and be like, okay, I understand that this is frustrating you, but you're holding up the project and is this in the big scheme of things something that's going to really bug you? Do you, you want to pay the extra money on the extra ex- extended exactly, job for exactly. a fucking tap? That yeah, and the builder's completely about to lose it and they're often staring at me behind the client's back just being like, hurry up and make a decision. <laughs> tell her that's a nice colour. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. And and tell me more, because I, 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 we went past it, I, I want to go back to it. Tell me more about these life changes, like, okay, there's divorce, which I can obviously imagine would, would be great for your industry because then you can do two homes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Generally the husband won't refer you to the wife and the yeah. wife won't refer you to <laughs> yeah, but you can figure out who it is and go go, go yeah. market to them direct. Knock on it. Oh, hey, I heard you may need a. You're in the business of needing a designer. Exactly. Um, so divorce, of course, death would be a big one because yep. um, I'm sure people would want to start a new kind of. Yeah, and it's like home. the rebirth thing and all that. Kind yeah, of stuff. and what, what, what are some um, having having babies? That oh, that's a huge. massive one. And and also the expense with you know fitting out a nursery. <laughs> Yeah, it's not cheap. It's not cheap. It's right. not cheap at all. And then, you know, that kid's only in that space for a certain amount of time and then they grow up and then they need another space and then there's another kid that comes along. Mm. So it's like a constantly evolving space. And if the house doesn't suit that, then they need to move. So then I move into another location and start doing the same process over again. So you're really with people for life. I, I'm yeah. going to I'm gonna solve the cost problem with, with children for my children. I'm going to have more the pet model where they <laughs> inhabit the backyard. You know. Oh, my God. <laughs> And yeah, they've got trees, they've got shade, they've got shelter. You put a, a balcony. You need a bed. If it rains, you let them in. <laughs> <laughs> but you can, have, you can fit heaps oh of God. them in the backyard. I thought you were going to say you were going to streamline it and be like, I'm gonna, only going to have boys and they'll have the same furniture and then the next one comes along and they get the Ooh, same wait, stuff as will. before. Yeah. But but you could keep them outside. I mean, docs might have something to say about that. Yeah, but I mean, um, no, I, I like the pet model. <laughs> <laughs> I want a little girl. Um, and, and, 
And do you use – so with your knowledge of this, this probably wasn't in your head when you started, the fact that really you're involved in life-changing moments of people's lives. That's when they – that's when they're big moments of change in someone's life. That's when they need – to, to, I guess, redesign. Mm-hmm. Was that something you were aware of when you started or is that no, something you learned? Not at all. Um, the first off, I realised people moving house was the biggest time to call a designer. And so I generally that get six weeks notice to do a full design because they don't want to bring anything from the previous house and they want to start fresh and all that whole, you know, new chapter, new start, all that. Um, and then after that, when I started seeing more clients and realising there were certain trigger points for them to call me, there were so many common elements to that and yet some of them are really tough. Like the death stuff is really hard and, yeah. you know, you have to be so empathetic to their situation and then there's also, you know, the memories that are attached to certain pieces in the house. So I have to be really conscious of not offending when, you know, they say what would you keep, what would you throw out and if there's something that you're like, oh, well, that's got to go in the bin and then they're like, oh, well, my late husband inherited that from his grandfather or something and you're like, okay, his grandfather Ooh. had horrible taste. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that needs to go in another yeah, room. <laughs> but but um, um, I guess the way to look at it because, I mean, particularly for, for negative, um, you know, reasons like death, you, you don't want to look at it in a negative light. You'd be re- – you're really – what you're doing is you're bringing light to a dark situation. You're, you're, you're bringing – so profound. Rebirth. I can put that on my website. Yeah, you either. should. You, yeah, you should. You're like uh, – um, if Jesus wasn't a carpenter, <laughs> he would be a stylist. Yeah. Um, he changes your, your frame of mind. And, hey, you know what's a really good idea? Mm-hmm. You, you were saying a few times, and I agree because it's happening to me at the moment, um, I bought some new furniture and I want to get rid of the old furniture, but it's mm. beautiful furniture. I barely used it. And like other people, when they, you know, they want to change furniture, they want a fresh start. Where do people take their old furniture? Like where does that go? Because, like, yeah, is there that's a company actually, that specialises in selling secondhand furniture that, that, you know, that's who you call for your, you know. To remove it. Yeah, because also half the problem is, like, I got a beautiful new couch coming. The yeah, couch, where do you put that one? Well, yeah, and I don't want to, like, I, I don't want to just sell it for cheap on Facebook because it's not cheap. Mm. And I don't really have anywhere to put it. Like, you want to sell it. If you're going to sell it, even if you've got half your money back, you'd probably be pretty happy. Mm. Where, where can you go for that? Yeah, that's actually one thing I talked about this in um, one of the books that I wrote was about how we need to be more conscious when purchasing. So you should have really thought about yourself before you. It wasn't. Well, it looks beautiful. Do you like how it looks? No, I know we talked about this, but you're not. It's just not comfortable on it. It's the and you know what? It's the only thing in this entire place. No, it's the only thing I chose. (laughs) It's the only thing in the entire house that that I chose. Deal with it. Yeah, I know. No, no, I already bought a new one. You know who I bought it off, and I would recommend uh, members. They actually listen to the podcast. They told me because when I got there, yeah, they said oh, I love your podcast. And they walked in. It's called Crafted <laughs> Furniture. Crafted, Crafted. Yes, I know that. Um, that is down they were they were, and they've just moved to Paddington. Yes, um, I love the 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 owner, Justin. Yes, Justin. He has given me incredible service. Um, he could have given me a bigger discount, especially now that I'm giving <laughs> him a shout out on the podcast. But uh, maybe I might speak to him after yeah, this. Yeah, you can take that. I might edit later. this podcast depending on his <laughs> and after I call him. But but um, they do Australian-made furniture, mm. custom-made furniture. Mm. And what I love about that is, A, it's Australian-made, which is is a massive plus. But, B, you, there's n- you don't have to wait for delivery from Europe and then it comes the wrong colour and you have to wait a whole other 12 yeah. – they say 12 weeks but it's more like 12 months. Yeah. Um, uh, Australian-made furniture. I reckon that's a big niche. Maybe you might pay a little bit more, 
Not necessarily. That's actually one of the positives that's come out of COVID is because of all these issues with freighting and, you know, there's not enough containers to bring all, because everyone's now on a home renovation like mission because we can't go anywhere. Mm. So everyone's making their home nicer. And that's meant that a lot of Australian uh, furniture suppliers are getting more business than they would have before because they're able to turn it around faster. Yeah. We are having some issues with raw materials, but um, generally my um, Australian-made suppliers will be able to turn it around in like half the time that any offshore suppliers can. Yeah, they, they, they crafted six mm. weeks for my couch from, from deposit. Some of the other suppliers that go offshore are quoting 26 weeks for a sofa. Minimum. And that's if it comes in the right colour yeah. or the right fabric because yeah. if it doesn't, God forbid, you have to order it yep. again. And then if it gets stuck on the water in the containers... And you screw or the ship sinks. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and so you mentioned a few times how COVID's affected you. Yeah. Would it have – I love what you said about pivoting into online styling. Mm. That was really cool. I want to hear more about that. But has it been good for you now? Because like you said, everyone's been locked in their houses. Everyone knows the fault of their house and everyone's sick of most of the stuff. Mm. Has it been beneficial to you or, or has it really – has it had a negative effect on you? Um, at the beginning it had a negative effect because no one wanted to spend – on anything and they pulled back on most of the projects that I were working on got affected. Some of them were renovations that were about to start work and everyone was concerned that the government would stop construction so they didn't want the back of the house knocked off for months uh, on yes. end, which is understandable. Yeah, others I like my were, back wall. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And then others were concerned about their money in the um, stock market and so that was the money they were going to be using to spend on furniture so they've paused that. Most of them have come back now. Um, and then I noticed after Easter, everyone had those three weeks at home and all of a sudden I started getting like so many inquiries. I've never had that many inquiries before of people saying, I want to change this, I want to change that. But I wasn't allowed into their house yet because we were still in lockdown. So we had to do the e-styling and e-decorating instead because I couldn't physically go to their house with any potential legal ramifications if I was to have COVID and whatever. So I did all the, the – Have a couch and a bit of COVID. <laughs> yeah, you, which one do you want? Yeah. <laughs> you can have both. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then ever since then it's just been really consistent. Um, but I, I did have probably about a four-week period of, of sitting there thinking, is my business completely gone? Do I need to start thinking about getting a job? <laughs> yeah. Um, but it also gave me the time to reflect on, you know, what wasn't working in the business, what was working, what I could do better and start another business. Well, I also think that um, – the fact that you're, you you are such a modern entrepreneur and you also already had had the experience doing the online styling yeah. meant that all these other interior designers... They were scrambling. Were, yeah, they didn't know what they were yeah. doing and you were like, oh, I'll just go online. And, yeah. And because you, you briefly mentioned the book, because you've got such a big personal brand... I sold so many books during lockdown Did as you well. really? Yeah. Oh, well, because you've got such a big personal brand, part of which is through the book, which I want to talk about... Um, um, you were able to leverage that and leverage, and then go online and still help people. And if yeah. people are bored at home, well, why not do a bit of styling for yourself? Yeah. And even better, I can do it online. I can, I can, I can be told what's good, what's bad. Exactly. And I can, I can, it's actually more fun to do it yourself. Yeah. And they had the time, so they were willing to do it. And that, that was their weekend activities was moving furniture around the house and seeing what worked and what didn't work. Exactly. And, and there's actually like psychology to that. IKEA has done, uh, like did a big study or maybe it wasn't Ikea that did it themselves, but someone did a study. And it was on um, satisfaction of furniture when it, when it gets to your house and when it's in place. Yeah. And they say that people that buy from Ikea have a much bigger satisfaction level because 
after the furniture's there. Because they had to Because they it? had to build it. So, oh, my and, God. And so they're like, oh, I don't. Yes, you know, I wouldn't. It's not my style either. But 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 you can understand the fact yeah. that they did it themselves gives them that, oh, yes, that like that 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 pride. And, and so that could have a, an effect on your online stuff because, mm. they, you know, they're having guidance. Well, they always send themselves. photos afterwards and they say, look what I've done. Thanks so much for your help. I wouldn't have been able to do this myself, but I feel like I've created a really nice space for myself and my family with your help and guidance. Um, but that it's it's their end result. They've that's, done it. That's so cool. And so can people still do this? Yeah. So they can – how do they contact you and do that? It's all on my website. I've got a whole section for decorating, emmabloomfield.com. And then and they can go on and they can organise uh, yeah. online decorating with yeah. you. And they can follow all the prompts. Emmabloomfield.com. Yep. No dot .au or also no, dot just .au. Com. Just dot .com. Yeah. Like and Bloomfield with one O just because we like just to be Just because we like to be shorter. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so the book because – one big point of difference, like you again, you're a stylist, hundred percent, and you're very modern, which I think is a big point of difference. But you've also got that big brand, that personal brand, and, and the book really did that. Mm. Did that create it, or did you have that? And then because you had that, you had the book. No, so my business was actually called something completely different before the books came out, and I changed because I knew that the books were going to have. Well, the, when the first book came out, I didn't know that there was going to be a second one. Um, it was called Home, and I thought, well, now's the opportunity to really create more of a personal brand because this book has my name on it and it will go everywhere and it went all around the country and all around the world. So um, that was a good opportunity for me to change that and and create more of a personal brand experience so that then if I had any offshoots of anything else that came from it, which I did, I had an art range and a rug range that came with the books. It just was a bit more streamlined. Wow. And so with the books you ended up creating the art range, mm-hmm. the rug range and just selling it to the – so you, you, you basically – you got the database, so you got the readers. You got you, you got your, I guess we'd call it a membership list. You got your you got your database, and then because you had their attention already, and because mm. you'd already brought them value, and they already respected you and liked you, mm-hmm. you were then able to offer them, yeah, um, a couple of other products, a couple of other products to yeah. to increase revenue. Mm-hmm. Amazing, mm-hmm. and and um and so, but to, to walk us through the book, like because I know a lot of a fair people. So I'm pro and con with the books. So I'm not 100 percent sold on the books. Your books I love. Your books are the only members of books I have in my library, my big library over there. But And they're the only books on the shelf at Cub. Are they really? Yeah. Yeah, because they're the best I books. Put them but I'm hit and miss with books because at one side of me, it's like I understand why all these business people are trying to get books, trying to write books. Mm. It makes them probably make them feel special. But it also um, you know, it plays to that social proof yeah. element. That, yeah. And that's what they're trying to do, I I guess. With you, it's very different because your knowledge, actually, you can share that in, in a book, and mm. it's it's you know you're not sharing business knowledge. You're sharing this is my, this is like st- the styling hacks and facts and how mm. to do this and how to whatever. I actually, know it because I've read your book, but but I there's almost too many people doing books. I know, and it just it kills books being good, especially now that you can self-publish. Yeah. Can you – what's that? What does that mean? Well, I I had a publisher so I never went down that path but you can write your own book and get it printed and then order a whole bunch of copies and sell them yourself. So when you work with the publisher they do all of the design work, they edit the book, they distribute it into the book's stores. They make sure that it's going to be good. They do the marketing for you. Yeah, exactly. And then you get a a percentage of sales. Whereas I could just write a big piece of shit and print it and sell it everywhere. Yeah, And that's just sucking away from – 
the legitimacy of, mm. of there's almost too it's like it goes to that place there's just too much content and there's also too many people that think that they're too special yeah you know or I mean? you get 10,000 followers on Instagram and you're like oh well I should write a book yeah <laughs> I'm gonna explain how I got the first thousand <laughs> <laughs> no one cares yes. but <laughs> but um and has the book been beneficial for you long term like would you recommend all the bullshit I was saying aside would you recommend that going down the book alley is yeah. something that the uh, other business owners should do yeah, I didn't realize what kind of an impact it would have on my career at the time. I knew that it would be big, but I didn't quite realize what other opportunities would come from not just selling the book. So, and it's it's something you can't really track either. That's the other hard part is, mm. you know, it has a brand approached you because they know that you are an author or do they like the design work that you do? It's kind of like, or is it both, you know? And and quite often when I do do something with a retail brand or whoever, they will ask, can we do a giveaway of your book? And so that's kind of like hand in hand whenever I'm asked to do a speaking gig or something like that or a workshop, then, you know, that's just a little add-on because what I do is a service. It's nice to have a little product to be able to offer to take away. Yeah, it's good to use in your marketing. Yeah, it's really good marketing Again, it is that social proof and and you are delivering people value. Yeah. You're delivering your value in the form of – it's kind of like what we do with this podcast actually. We we give value to all business owners that listen to Mm. it by sharing the knowledge of our members Mm. and and the experiences through their business Um, without them even actually having our actual service. Mm. That's pretty much what your book – it's basically your podcast. Well, I've always joked that writing a book is one of the most selfish things that you can do because, I mean, it depends. Different different categories are different. But from my experience, I wrote what I wanted to write because I didn't have to fact check and have a bibliography at the back saying or reference you know, 10,000 yeah. different things. Yeah, we don't reference it. I didn't have to reference <laughs> no. anything, which was great. So I could make shit up and it didn't matter. Yeah. No, I didn't make anything up. Um, but it was all my own opinion. So with a client project, I have to follow the client brief and they'll say, I want a red sofa with white polka dots on it. And I might think that looks hideous, which for the record I do, but I'd have to go and find that for them. Whereas with a book, I can write whatever I want because no one's telling me what I have to do. And it's almost, it it, is your taste. Yeah. Yeah. You can put that in there. But, But I noticed in your books, you do have the fundamental fundamentals yes like anyone can read it and fit to it and then you're obviously using the book in your marketing it's great marketing for you Mm -hmm. how do you gain new clients and do you use your knowledge on the fact that they are experiencing particularly for the bigger jobs life-changing experiences such as divorce um uh, death birth so new kids um i can't remember what else you said but but do you use that knowledge in your marketing Yeah, Uh, all the wording on my website is very much worded to speaking directly to the people that I've worked with in the past and the conversations that that I've had with them and things that they've said. So, you know, they might have called me and said, I've just spent the weekend walking around the super centre with my husband and two kids. Everyone yelled at each other by the end of the day and no sofa was purchased. (laughs) And so my husband and I spoke when we got home and decided that we'd outsource it to a professional. So I've got stuff like that written on my website saying... Have you walked around the super center yeah. all weekend with the kids yelling and your husband <laughs> had an argument and now you need help because you're admitting defeat? Um, or even other stuff like I'm a busy professional, I don't have time to go to the super centers, I'm not quite confident buying online without um, the risk associated with not seeing the product. So can you help me? I like that. It's like, have you experienced this? If you yeah. have, then I'm probably the better way to go. Yeah, exactly. And so what do you actually do? So uh, I'll meet with the client and just listen. Like a big part of it is listening. 
you know, and then working out what it is that they need because they might not know what they need yet. And, and listening to what the needs and the wants of everyone that's using the space is because the kids might use the space in one way and then, you know, the parents use it in another way in the evening or the weekends are different to the way you'd use the house in the weekdays. So working out what it is that needs to actually be put into the space is a huge part of it. And then I get access to a huge range of products that the general public don't because I can specify from wholesale suppliers. I can custom design anything as well. If you can dream it, we can make it. Um, and then we actually get that all delivered into the house. I come back in, arrange everything beautifully, and then they're free to destroy okay. it however they like. Yeah, but so the steps are you, I mean, they reach out obviously, you come in, do the consultation, mm-hmm. you figure out exactly what they need and how they do it. But do you then come back to them with like a mood board or? Yeah, we, we go through probably two or three phases of design elements. Mm-hmm. So I'll put together what I think will work, get their feedback, make any changes. Um, and then obviously at the moment we're facing stock difficulties out of China and India. So it depends largely on what we can get now. Um, this is, the lead times at the moment are like six months for Ridiculous. stock. So then that means we have to change things as we go and we just manage that as best we can. And so you do the mood board about three times and then you do they give you a date they want it done by or do you kind of say, okay, look, this is the stuff we're getting. I'm going to go get this for you and realistically – everything should be here in the next 12 weeks. And then you actually can go. So once they say, yeah, I like that, I like that, Mm -hmm. you um, um, can go to, um, I guess, any of the suppliers, the shops, and and, and you can do that for them so they don't have to. We run it all. I've got an assistant who manages all the orders and deliveries. Mm -hmm. So she has a spreadsheet that she sends through to the client and says, this is when you can expect the sofa and she's got all the dates and delivery tracking. Custom and that kind made of stuff. things, everything. You yeah. can so basically, if it were me, I wouldn't have to worry about anything. I could say, mm. uh, Emma, I, I want to redo my uh, dining, which is actually probably the next thing I'm gonna do, so I'll <laughs> let you know about that. My dining area. Mm-hmm. Um, um this is you know, this is kind of the mood I want. I don't know where to get anything, I don't know how to negotiate this stuff and you can go do all that for me and one day I'll come home and it'll just be beautiful. Yeah, pretty much. Amazing. And you do it for a lot of members. Yes, have you, you, I have, have done you, it for do, a lot of you members. Gained, you've gained a fair bit of business. through. I've gained a lot of business, yeah, I have. And, and not just their homes, also their office spaces, events and their retail spaces too. That's cool. Yeah. Is that something that happened because you were – so is – um like were you doing that additional – uh, stuff before Cub or were you just doing residential? Did Cub open – like did you start having more access to offices and events because of um, members? Good question. I've done I've done a lot of corporate stuff um, over the last five years but I had done a little bit of it before Cub as well. I'd done a retail store for a little nursery furniture store. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, then we've obviously gained a lot through Cub too. You ex- kind of expanded your – Yeah, it is, yeah. in terms – and also um, – Teaming up with Paul and Andrew with Flair Creative and all the events that they do. Because you're doing Ferrari and stuff now. Yeah, we do the Ferrari events um, and, you know, we've done a, the Dunk Island event that we all helicoptered everything into the island because we so couldn't what, get barge you designed that event. You, you designed, you just styled, you made it look yeah, amazing. Yeah, so I do the creative styling. So they'll come to me and say, this is the brief, we're launching a new Ferrari. Last year we did the hybrid, so... Mm-hmm. We had to focus on, you know, what what it was that the car was offering for the customers, and how do we kind of reiterate that through the event? So, and 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 tell me, where do you want to like? What's the, I guess, what's the next step for you? How do you? What are you seeing the innovations in the industry? Because, for example, 
the thing you told me about the online styling, that's really blown my mind. I think that's huge, but you're saying that's already quite uh, in in America. Yeah. Uh, I love the idea of somewhere to sell nice secondhand furniture. Mm. I reckon a lot of buyers want that as well. Yeah. You know, they want the nice shit, but they don't want to pay. They, they don't want to pay, pay the full price. Yeah. yeah. Um, what do you want to do? What, 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 what's your plan or do you have one? Well, so COVID has actually kind of stopped me to sit and think about what I want to do next. Mm -hmm. Um, Next year will be 10 years since I started my business and, you know, that's that's kind of… 10 years. I know. I know. I'm old. (laughs) I've learned a lot in those 10 years. So one of the things that I did during COVID was start um, something that I've talked about. You must have been 15 when you started. (laughs) Or seven. Oh, (laughs) Jake. Um, one of the things I've wanted to do for a really long time is to create a business that helps streamline the way that interior designers work online. And with a, an old club member, we've actually done that and started decorlibrary.com. So that will be the new chapter in my career is focusing on tech for interior designers and helping streamline the way that they run their projects. And there's a huge gap in the market in the interior design industry. It's still quite prehistoric, the way that we're doing it things. Is. yeah. Um, some people still send faxes. <laughs> really? Yeah, I can imagine. It's in, it's one of the industries that that hasn't evolved so much. Like interior design, construction, yeah, PR, the um, real estate, like yeah. agents and all they, these models haven't changed in in, in so no. long. And and no one and I don't know I don't know if this is because it is a female dominated industry and we are so focused on being creative that there's never really been anyone that's been so tech focused to help and tech generally tends to be more of a male dominated industry as well mm-hmm. so and it's something that I've wanted to do for a long time and my business partner and I spoke about it three years ago and he encouraged me to do it then and I brushed him off. And then we've had multiple conversations in the last three years about it. And then in January, he said, all right, let's do this. Let's stop talking about it. So what is it? What does it do? So it is a platform that you can load all of your um, projects onto. And it also has a marketplace in the library. So you can source products for your design clients through the marketplace and then go all the way through to sending your design projects through to the client and they get their own portal. They can log in. They can approve products. They can ask you to reselect products and then you can order them direct with the supplier as well. So you don't even need to go into other websites. You it's just it modernizing the whole process. Yeah. Making it more streamlined and organized. And Which better. is kind of what I started off doing with design in the first place. Yeah, it's pretty cool, isn't it? it? it is. yeah. I love that. Yeah. And you're one of the very few members that experienced Cub in the first <laughs> six months, even a year, whatever it was. But do you remember the first time we ever met? Yes. Do you remember where you were sitting? Yes. At the back on the left, yeah. remember it was like a hallway? Yeah. Um, and you are with Elise? Yes. Why did you join? So Elise and I met at uni mm-hmm. and she is a, a previous club member. Yeah. She's on maternity leave. She and I had been wanting to work together because we'd both started businesses at a similar time, had the same kind of issues but never really spoke about it in our friendship circles. And then occasionally we'd sort of message each other and say, hey, this happened, what would you do in this situation? And then it kind of evolved to the point where we were like, maybe once a week we should work with each other and just like focus on our businesses rather than client work. 
So we did that for a little while, but we couldn't find any spaces to sit and work together. You can't go to a cafe for a whole day without taking the piss. So then we looked into co-working spaces and never found anything that was the right fit. And then through like-minded bitches drinking wine. Yeah, the, yeah um, Jane, Lou introduced you to us. Yeah. yeah. Um, we were at the second meetup because Elise and I were part of the founding members of like-minded bitches drinking wine. And um, we heard about Cub through that. And so we came in and met with you and we were like, oh, my God, this place is awesome. This is exactly what we need. We need somewhere where we can come and talk business, do some work if we want to do some work, go and get some lunch if we want to get some lunch and hang out. It's crazy. I kind of, I'm trying to remember what I would have even – trying to think what I would have said to you, like sold you on. Like, sold me some fake dream. It must have been. It, well, it obviously was because that we didn't have anything at that point. Like we didn't have a service. Do you remember there was no networking service? Like the, the offering was – in like a bar and a yeah, space. Yeah, it was more the space back then. Yeah. And that was never what we wanted to offer. We just yeah. didn't have anything else. Yeah. Like I couldn't offer anything else. It was just, okay, there's a, there, here's a space and it's for business owners. Yeah. And <laughs> that that's was, good. That was all we needed. We were like, well, that's what we're looking for. Yeah. yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Worked out. <laughs> the lowest hanging fruit. Yeah. <laughs> we're the easiest and to please. We need nothing. We just need the space that's fine. But yeah. Um, but it, it, it's incredible because it shows you how, businesses evolve and grow and mm. you've really seen cub go from from yeah just i guess a space it yeah. didn't have staff it did it didn't even have all the furniture and things um no. i don't think we when you joined there was no curtains or rugs but but well those little rooms at the back were not even they didn't oh, have they doors didn't on even them they yeah, were we, just like little yeah, nooks. we had no meeting rooms yeah. <laughs> but uh yeah nooks yeah but um but it's amazing because it evolved from it's a great example of something evolving from a concept which consisted of a nothing yep. into in, in, into the best networking service for business owners in the country, mm. and that was done because uh, we listened to to like people like you. For example, what you just said at the start, best thing about Cub is that I've made so many best friends that mm. are business owners. That is what has evolved the club into creating a service that doesn't just network people mm. or make you meet them once or, you know, or have boring meetings. <laughs> no, it, it, it's designed in a way that allows you to build a relationship. Yeah. And that's really cool. Do you, and, and, and back then, do you remember the first event? Were you at the launch event for Cub? Yes. You would have been. but Because you're over five years of a member because you joined before Cub launched. It launched in October 21st. Yeah. You joined in like June or Did, July. No, I swear I joined in October. Oh, did, did you? I, I can't oh, remember. Maybe I bonused you for. Uh, no, no, I'm fairly certain you joined before oh, the launch because yeah. Jane, Jen. That's true. We did actually the spend some time there before. Oh from my god, yeah, Elise's, Elise's brother. Brother, and that's how yeah. we that's how we joined. Oh my god. Yeah, and do you remember the very first event we ever hosted? I'm fairly certain this is it. Do you remember the array, the one when Mel, <laughs> I knew you were going to say when that. Mel B, the Spice Girl, <laughs> was and there. You? Belly danced. And I, no, I didn't belly dance. You tried to. We couldn't afford entertainment. You tried to belly and dance. I, you put the outfit on. You did. It, I didn't put the outfit on. You I did. I held the ribbons. <laughs> That's because we couldn't afford. Do you know how that happened? We we were all sitting around. This is the first event in Cub history, mind you. I don't know why we chose Arabian Nights and we had little shishas on the, you know. Mel B was there, which yeah, is I a feat. So we could, we could say a Spice Girl was, <laughs> was at our first ever event. But we had those belly dancers or whatever they were with the room. They had those yeah, big those, ribbons yeah. that they're, they're like, they're like streaming. They hid like, behind the curtains and came out. And came out. And then everyone wanted them to come out again. But they were asking for like, I can't remember how much money it was. Oh, like, is that why? Time. Yeah. And I was like, 1200 bucks. I was in the back and I was with Mel oh God, and her husband at the time, Stefan. Yeah. 
And I'm like, $1,200. I'm like, I could do that. And then they're like, oh my God. <laughs> that's what happened. And then Mel was like, <laughs> Mel was like, Daniel, you should totally do that. And I was like, no, I shouldn't. And then her husband was like, and then because they said, yeah, like challenged me, like her stepfather was like, nah, you, you won't do it. And I was like, fuck you, yeah, I will. Anyway, so I said to the lady, I'm going to show you if I were 1200 bucks. But I actually performed. No, I, I remember that. And I did it for free. The members got better oh entertainment. I don't know that anyone would have paid for that. Oh, you're, you're kidding. I reckon people right now would pay 10, ten grand <laughs> to see me do so. that in front of me. Oh, you've lost your mind. I'd pay you 10 grand not to do it. <laughs> No, you're wrong. People like that. <laughs> Only if but you that was the, the first event. That was the first. I've done a lot of fucked up shit. For was this that club. the first event? That was the first. I, I thought the first certain. event was on a boat. No, the first. Ev- no, 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 no. That was before the boat. The very okay. first event was a very private event with just the first members. That was with you. Like that was. We and we hosted the first like-minded bitches event too. Yeah, but that wasn't cup. That was that was. A yeah, they've all day. kind of blurred into one. Yeah. No, I'm and I've hosted my book launches there I've, as well. Yeah, I know that they looked beautiful. Yeah. But I've done a lot of fucked up shit for this club. Do you know I also got a nose job for this club? What? I did. Not like an external nose job. Like not like it doesn't look different. What do you mean? But there was a member who was a plastic surgeon and I was so for supporting members that I was like, yeah, you, like, yeah, you can give me a nose job. You should have got your boobs done. <laughs> <laughs> I swear he gave me an internal nose job so I could breathe better. But fuck, he's not a member anymore so I can say I, still, I breathe like shit. I was going to say, can you actually breathe? <laughs> no, nah, he fucked me up. I wish he never did that. <laughs> yeah, oh, my well, God. Anyway, I've done, oh, what else have I? I've done some weird things for this club. You, you've seen me do some weird things. For yeah. This club. Well, how much time have we got? Well, no, no, we're not going <laughs> to get into that. Get into that. But <laughs> would you say? I mean, how would you describe your experience in actually watching? Because uh, uh, what I find is a lot of members actually feel like they're on. They are. They don't have to even feel like it. They are on this incredible journey where we're on this kind of road to build this incredible business community and establishment that that that, that will lift up Australian entrepreneurs and business. And part of the fun of being a member is actually being on that journey mm. um, and members even to this date are um, because while, yeah, okay, where we are, hey, we still got lots to go. But you've really seen from the very start, how would you describe, I guess, the evolution of, uh, of the club? Like has Cup gotten better? How would you describe the journey from start to now? Yeah, 100% it has definitely got better. Uh, not that it was bad in the beginning. Like it's yeah. always been amazing and I've always enjoyed being part of the clubhouse. But uh, in the last – I reckon in the last two years in particular there's been a massive increase. In, Leaps and bounds. Yeah, absolutely. And that's just you guys learning and, and pivoting and, and also bringing on more staff and, and more amazing members and that's just kind of where it's it's naturally progressed to. But I said to Elise who's been on maternity leave and she hasn't been in the clubhouse for – Two years. Two years, I Since think. The th- yeah. I said to her the other day, you should really come back to Cub, you know, like one day a week maybe. Mm. Um, she's moved further out of the city as well, so she's not able to come in that easily. But I said, just one day a week and I'll come and sit with you and we'll do what we did in the early days because we sat and focused on our businesses. We didn't do design work or she didn't do client work or whatever. And I said the like core in particular, she didn't experience that. So Mm. I said core has been amazing. You know, I've got so many connections out of that, made so many friends from core as well. And also just having a sounding board of other people to understand what I've been going through with, you know, certain things in business and how much it's improved, not just me on a um, business level, but also on a personal growth level as well. It's been really big. I always feel like Cub even like for not all members, cause it doesn't need to do it for members. It's not, we don't get paid to do this, but for, for, for a large part of the membership base, it actually changes your life because yeah. you, you make f- really good friends yeah. and 
really good friends impact your life in in, in ways you will never. Yeah. You know, you can't you can't quantify you can't really imagine. You can't put what's a dollar amount on that. No, and you can't really imagine what it's going to be no, either. You, can't. you don't know the benefit. It's kind of like you could get you know having this amazing network is exciting. A yes, because you know that you're going to you know have heaps of knowledge and 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 make great relationships and probably even find some business opportunities. But you don't know what else. It's like no. it's kind of like a kinder surprise. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you open up, you're like, oh, fuck, got the turtle. Or you like open up, you get a mad car. You know, you, you don't know what you're going to get. And I think that's almost – it's a bit of a surprise. Even with core, right, you go into your new, like your next yeah, group. Yeah, you don't know who they are. Yeah, and it's exciting. It's like, oh, do I have a really great group? Or mm. like hopefully they're all great. I've but you know what I mean. Well, really? I've mostly really? been the chairperson. Which so is why the group can't be bad. And um, and so you've you've really enjoyed core. You think core? Yeah. I have really enjoyed core. Yeah, yeah. It's the best and thing we ever did. I can't wait for it to start again next year too, because I think it's going to be great, incredible. And so, tell us then, what are some tips and tricks that, like, just you know, the fundamental rules of styling? What what are what are some of them? Okay, well, I'll, I'll divulge what's in my first book, Home. Okay which is the five elements of decorating and then how to apply them to each room in the house. So the five elements that you can literally, like if you know these five elements, you'll be fine. So one is understanding the needs and wants of the people that use the space, which I talked about before. Two is colour and pattern. So how to use colour well, how to use pattern properly. That's where people come unstuck. They get, you know, the beige sofa and the beige rug and then they go, everything's really beige. Everything's beige. How do we make it more fun? Yeah. So that's adding the colour and pattern. Um, getting the shape and size right, that's often somewhere where people come unstuck and they go and buy the biggest sofa that they think they can fit in the space and then they're like there's no room for anything else or they buy a sofa that's too small and doesn't work. So getting proportions right. Uh, lighting is a huge part of it as well. That's often forgotten about because when you're planning something, uh, especially if you've moved out of the house, Lighting doesn't really come into it until you go back into stand in the physical space and you're like, oh, shit, we should have put lights in that corner or whatever. So thinking about that beforehand and placement. So where are you actually putting the furniture so that the traffic can flow properly through the space and you don't run into, you know, a sofa or a TV unit. And with lighting, is that the actual light fitting or is that how the room's lit? No, yeah, it's how the room's lit. So I use a combination. I don't just use down lights. And if I do use down lights, I always make sure there's a dimmer switch so that you can control the light levels throughout various times of the day. Um, and then uh, wall sconces, so lighting the walls up or lighting the walls down. It's much more flattering on our um, face than lighting from above us. So lighting the walls is much better than yes. lighting above. It gives a nicer glow. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah. And and you know what I like about that? You've you, – that, that's, that's a – like you don't truly understand something unless you can – summarize it into like what you've done into five yeah, like things. Yeah, a formula. Yeah, it's a formula. Yeah. And that just shows you know so well what you do that mm. you're able to f- formulate it mm. and then share that formula yeah. um, with others to then benefit so from that's, it. That's a big part of writing a book is that you need to have some kind of formula or have a story or combine both and that's when it will be successful because people remember the stories. They don't necessarily remember the exact layout of what that formula is but they will remember the stories that you tell around that formula. I like that a lot. A formula and story. Who taught yeah. you that? Did you? Is that something you just um, learned? A coach someone? that I worked with years ago when I was writing e-courses, she told me that. So when you're, when you, yeah, when you're doing an e-course or when you're sharing something. Because yeah. that's super relevant for a lot of things. That's mm. almost like marketing. Yeah. And for Cub, formula and a story. I love that. Mm. And and you, you know what else is quite a cool thought is like you probably by writing your book – 
actually were studying your craft yes. and got better. You understood it better. You yeah. broke it down more. Yeah. And perhaps people should write books mm. in a sense mm. simply to better as an exercise in order to better understand what it is they do as a business. By writing something down and actually the exercise of pre- pre- preparing something to teach others mm. will help you understand it what you, you understand do better. your craft. Yeah. You yeah. know where I learned that? Um, do, you, do you ever attend the Cub Conversations? Yeah. The digital ones? You yeah. know how when a member shares their area of expertise with, yeah. you know, it's a good way for members to connect and share knowledge. I hosted my first two mm. ever um, uh, this week and last week. I've never done it before. And I actually found it to be tremendously valuable because, uh, not because I particularly wanted to host them. Mm. I did it because I wanted to experience what the members are experiencing. Um, and it's a good way for me me to meet a lot of the members because I, I don't get to meet them, um, meet them all. Um, but what I found was the most valuable thing about that was that I was preparing. I did one on culture creation, on creating culture, which is obviously something we're very good at Cub. That's pretty much what we do for yeah. a living almost or it helps us do what we do for a living. And I did the other one on leadership and lessons through COVID, mm-hmm. through a crisis basically to better prepare us for the next. Mm-hmm. And by actually sitting down and spending time to break down my theories on things, I actually not only created new theories for myself, but I understood those two concepts much more. And I think that that is, it's kind of like what I'm saying. It's writing the book. Yeah. It's 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 because you don't stop and think about that stuff. No, and not in great, di- not in the sense of how do I teach someone else it. Yeah, that's true. If you've got to actually formulate yeah. it so that someone else can understand yeah. it, it comes out in a different it way. It needs to be so simple that that spastic can, can <laughs> understand it, you know. That's how simple it needs to be. Yeah. Um, and I think that's that all business owners should do that, whether it be about your service or whether it be about your business or whether it be whatever. For you, I even love the idea of, of about theories on pivotal moments in life and why they cause you to change your home. Yeah, and what that means as a reflection of your environment yeah. about your and personal life. Exactly. And if you yeah. broke down each of them, you could understand each experience even more mm. and then market that better. It's yeah. a great exercise. I, that's I'm actually going to start doing that for everything. Mm. It's like the caterpillar that turns into the butterfly. It's kind of the same thing for your house. <laughs> Where, how the fuck did you get there? Well, if, that a caterpillar is not exactly the most attractive looking animal. No, it's the ugliest then, of all God's if creatures. If you've got ugly furniture and then you go through that whole metamorphosis of change, yes, then you end up with the beautiful house, which yeah. is the beautiful butterfly. You could one could say that cub was once the caterpillar. Yeah, you were a bug. You 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 were a big bug. You were a massive bug. <laughs> And then little, you came out of your Arabian there. Nights with <laughs> yeah. your butterfly wings. Oh, people are going to teach me about that. But, <laughs> but I actually think that shows dedication. You know what else that shows? That I don't give a fuck. I will do absolutely anything I need to do to make sure that members have a pod, like that cub does well. well that's and good because I, I reckon w- I've got videos and photos of that night. Of, of, yeah, good, excellent. Well, we can share that on Cub's 10th birthday. <laughs> give me five years. Okay, I'll <laughs> but, put them somewhere safe. But, but – if you were joining a community or part of a club, you'd want to know that the head of that club doesn't matter what, like COVID happened. He will, put he will the deliver. Belly dancing if outfit they can't on. afford the belly dancer, that that dude will put on the outfit and go do it himself. Right? If you need someone else to do your nose, if, if you need more nose job clients, he will sacrifice his nose. Wow, he put him your body. There's on another the line. one there, but I can't remember what it is. I was actually trying to think about it before now, but but my point is, you want to know, and as a leader, if you want to be part of a company. 
right? Sorry, be, be a client of it, any company. Mm. You want to know that the leader, if I get you to do my house, I want to know that I don't want excuses from you, mm. that I just want to know that it will be done. Yeah. It doesn't matter if Godzilla comes out of the thing and, <laughs> and, and terrorizes Sydney, you will work beneath his feet and still make sure it's done. <laughs> do you know what I mean? I think that's, that, that, that is what a leader should, that, that would give me confidence in a company if I knew the leader would make sure that that got done. But I think that's why most people are in business because they want to they wanted to succeed and do that kind of stuff. I mean, there's yeah, a lot t- of people I'm that, from the client's perspective. Yeah, I know, but I'm talking from a business owner's perspective. Is that I would never want someone out there saying that I'd done a shitty job. Yeah, well, of course, that's embarrassing. Yeah, but also as a business owner, you I, I like to think that as a business owner, you've got to be a sicko. You have to be yeah, almost to be psychopathic. Yeah, you're you're, yeah. You're, 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 you're you're not normal no. because you have a tremendous amount. You you almost love the responsibility because you carry a tremendous amount of responsibility as a mm. business owner, not just to your client, to your team, yeah, to 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 your family, to the families of your team, mm-hmm. to 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 the people that uh, to your the people that are associated with your client. You, you carry a tremendous amount of pressure and responsibility and you need to enjoy having that. Yeah, you do. To be a business owner. Yeah. You can't not like it because mm-hmm. if you do not like that, you will crumble under the weight of business, uh, un- under the pressure. You, 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 you'll, you'll be flattened like, mm. a, like a leaf, like, a, like this piece of paper. Mm. You, you need to almost love the responsibility, which, which it kind of ties into the point I was making if I wanted to be someone's client, I want to know that the head of that business loves having the responsibility of ha- giving me a good experience, mm. of having me as a client because ha- having a client is a responsibility. And performing. Yeah, performing massively. Mm. You, you can't just, yeah, you need to perform and doing it better than someone else because really like if in the spirit of competition, if you're in business – you should believe that you can do a better job than any of the yeah. other competition, right? Definitely. So if, you, if I'm going to take your business, right, if I thought there was a better place for you to, to grow your network with other business owners, I would tell you mm. to go there mm. because I'm committed to, to that, to helping the business owner. I, I love that. That's what I want. If I wasn't the best, if we weren't the best, I'm definitely not the best. The team's the best. <laughs> but if we weren't the best and there was a better team, I would tell you to go there or I'd offer it cheaper. Or I'd offer it cheaper. Okay. Because then, okay, well, you're not getting the best because you're paying less. Yep. Right. But really, a business owner should have that responsibility. I believe I am the best. If you're not the best, you should get out. You shouldn't be yeah, there. Or I be cheaper. A lot of a lot of business owners are perfectionists anyway. So it comes with the territory. What that does though is if if a business owner says, Hey, I will only take clients if I believe I am the best. My company is the best for that client, that will force you to go niche. Yes it will force you to go niche to be the best because you need to be the best for that particular client. And when you go niche, right, that is when you can really create. Well, that's where the magic happens and that's where the money is to be made. Yes, and that's how you can create a defensible kind of market position and mm. you can be known for something. Yeah. Once you're known for something, you have the clients, you can start serving them anything else. Mm. But really, I like, I really like that. Am I the best? You should turn down clients if you're not the best for them, for that person. Well, I turn down clients that aren't the best for you, for me. yeah, <laughs> you're picky. <laughs> well, I have to be because so, uh, do you know the other thing that sometimes people come to me because their house is a mess and it's cluttered 
I can't work with clients like that. Yeah. They they can't let go of that stuff. Like they're hoarders, so they need a different kind of person to come in and help them with that. Yeah, not even I can help you with this. You, you, <laughs> you need me. a greater power than me to help yeah. you. No, I agree, but also you're dealing with, like we said, people's homes. If you meet mm. a psychopath and they want you to do their home, odds mm. are you're not going to w- want to work with them no. because you're like, I don't want to be abused every day or whatever. <laughs> and, you know, a, a, a cub, that's one of the things I hate most about cub. There's so many people that want to join but we can't accept them because yeah. the requirements for membership. They're not the right fit. Yeah. It's a, it, it, imagine people trying to give you money and you can't take no, you it. You shouldn't hate that about Cub. That's one of the best parts about Cub because then the rest of us get to benefit from the fact that you've only let the good ones in. 100%. But also cash would be nice. <laughs> <laughs> and let's end this podcast there. Um, <laughs> no, well, let's end it with I want to I, – I, I'd like to ask you two questions to finish. Okay. One – uh, is what is the biggest value you've – what's the most important thing? You could briefly said it before. What's the, what's the biggest thing Cub has given you? Um, yeah, I mean I've touched on that a few times but I think the biggest thing that Cub's given me is a space where I know that if I've got an issue or a problem, there will be someone within that network that will help me solve that problem and I won't be left out in the dark thinking am I the only person that's ever fucked this up before um, You're not alone. And, and is there no other way out of this? And I just have to keep digging this hole. Yeah. Um, That's beautiful because it almost provides it, like that sense of security. Yeah. Yeah. Like security it's like numbers. There's always someone that will catch you if you jump. Yeah. I love that. That's really cool. And what's what would you say is your greatest lesson in business or even just a thought? We gave, we've given the the people lots of thoughts in this podcast. I'm actually going to listen to this podcast and write down some of the things we said. I really, <laughs> I like those concepts. I think I can, we can roll with them. But I guess what's a final thought or, or a final lesson that you'd like to leave everyone with? Always trust your gut because it's always right. Every time I've gone against it, something's happened. So I, my first um, publisher was an absolute nightmare and the book didn't go ahead because I did not feel like it was a book I wanted to put my name on. And if I hadn't s- stood up for myself and got legal advice – I would have a book on the shelves that would literally just be ready for the dumpster. So always trust your gut and if it doesn't feel right, don't do it. That is a fantastic example. And if anyone wants to reach out to Emma to to help you decorate and style your home, uh, your office, your event, um, (laughs) she's been a member for five years. I could not recommend anyone more um, uh, for, for, for the job. She's a great friend of mine. I'm so personally grateful. She's our longest. She's member number one. In fact, on our queen first. Queen of t- Cub. You are the queen of Cub. In fact, in our first TV commercial, first and only still. Oh, yeah. Second, you were the face of Cub at the end. Yes, you were the, I you was. were the Amy girl smiling. Yes, I was. Oh, my God. I remember that. <laughs> I love that. Um, and, and if anyone wants to reach out to you, it's emmabloomfield.com um, or reach out to Cub and we'll direct you directly to Emma. Thank you for coming on. Thank you so much for having me. And I hope everyone enjoyed our rants. See ya. <laughs>